0: Hello and welcome to Economics in 10 with Pete and Gav. In each podcast we'll be looking at a famous economist and asking 10 questions that will hopefully inform you and get you thinking about their influence in modern society today. We are going off the beaten track in this podcast and we have no doubt it will raise more questions than the 10 we asked today. So, who are we looking
1: at today, Pete? And why is it slightly different than normal? Well, we're going back in time today and outside of the sort of Western world to look at the ideas of Ibn Khaldun. I've no idea if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, you asked me to look this up and yeah. I think Ibn Khaldun is right. Ibn Khaldun, yeah. yeah. I'll come back to his name in a bit he's got a much longer yeah certainly we'll talk about that more so the reason we're looking at Ibn Khaldun is because I guess many people particularly within uh well you know economists people who've studied economics are under the impression that almost economics began as a discipline with the work of Adam Smith but there were a number of forebears who had you know very interesting ideas about economics or political economy as Smith might have called it even though they wouldn't necessarily have seen themselves as economists. So even in the West, you've got people like the physiocrats, but Ibn Khaldun is even earlier than that. You're looking at the late um, 14th century. century. So yeah, a a long time ago. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about his time, but fascinating ideas, often which uh, you'll see echoed by later economists. So you could argue that he almost came up with things before the people who generally are credited with them now. Yeah. What I quite like the fact that we're doing him is um,
0: it's like we actually plan these things. Um, (laughs) That uh, one of the few kind of economists who kind of recognised him was uh,
1: Joseph Schumpeter. Yes. In
0: his history of economic thought.
1: Absolutely. And obviously
0: he was the last podcast, which you can go and listen to still. Uh, (laughs) You know, and so it's quite nice that this... What he considered to be, what, was it, the great gap, I think, of economic history. Yeah. We're attempting to fill it now, Pete.
1: Yeah. Exciting. Uh, <laughs> so I guess a few sort of little pointers towards uh, Ibn Caldyn. Unlike previous scholars who had a tendency to be what we might call normative, um, he tried to take a positive approach to sort of history and looking at societies. So probably if you're studying A-level economics, really early on in the course, We'll talk about positive and normative statements, and a, a positive statement is one that you can expose to evidence and prove it uh, true or false. Uh, whereas a normative statement is a statement of opinion. So, for example, you could say, "Well, you know, Gavin is three foot tall." Right. Now, actually, you're going to say the greatest economics teacher. I'll come back to that. <laughs> but Gavin isn't three foot tall, funnily enough. But it's right. still a positive statement because right. we can we can oh prove, yeah okay, okay, we, we yeah. can prove it true or false. Yes. Uh, we've resorted to evidence Uh, whereas a normative statement might be gavin is the greatest economics ever (laughs) uh, economics teacher ever good which is very difficult to prove one way or the other even though in our heart of (laughs) hearts we know it to be true so ibn khal doon's interesting because to a certain extent a lot of uh, thinkers in the social sciences around that time or before him wouldn't have taken that positive approach that uh desire to sort of expose their uh, ideas to proof yeah to, some to people say he's the
0: first sort of social
1: scientist as we kind of describe social science today yeah and in terms of economics we'll, we'll, we'll look at some sort of very familiar ideas some very modern ideas that he was talking about almost sort of, well six six hundred years ago yeah. you know, a hell of a long time ago so things like the division of labor which we associate with adam smith uh The disincentive effect of taxation, which we might associate with Arthur Laffer and the Laffer curve. Uh, So some really interesting ideas. What I found particularly interesting when I was reading about him was his ideas about how civilizations rise and fall. Yeah, I love that. That's really fascinating. And again, a slight link back to Schumpeter in the sense, you know, Schumpeter's talking about cyclical elements in sort of economic life, if you like. And he's almost talking about cyclical elements in sort of the broad span of human history. And I found that really interesting.
0: And I I think when we say about, um, was it their influence in modern society today? I mean, most of the stuff we're probably going to do is kind of like, as we would call it in teaching, retrieval learning, isn't it? Like, as we kind of link back to old theories that we've talked about with Marshall and Smith and so Mm. on. But the thing to do with civilizations rising and falling, whatever, I think, sort of newish, but kind of in terms of its um, links to modern society, uh, will, will be an interesting talking point. Can I just say, though, going back to the subjective um, and, you know, kind of objective stuff? Um, positive and normative. Positive and normative. Yeah. One of the, um, I know we've mentioned this before, Pete, but. Our entry to The Eighth Way to Think Like a 21st Century Economist Kate was about heads-up economics. And for me, again, when I read Ibn Khaldun, I thought he was a heads-up economist.
1: Heads-up economist. 600 years before you (laughs) came up with the concept. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. heads-up economist. So there you go. So let's talk a little bit about his time, first of all. And unusually as well, normally when we're talking about his, you know, The Economist's time we're tending to place them in sort of Western culture. You know, here we need to talk about not only his time, but also his place. I mean, he's not sort of completely, you know, the other side of the world, as we'll see, but certainly growing up, you know, it's not he's not a UK-based economist, as mm-hmm. most of the people we've looked at have been, at least at some point. So to place him in his time, you know, if you, if you, you compared him with what was going on in the UK, he's a contemporary of Geoffrey Chaucer, yeah, you familiar with the work of Geoffrey Chaucer? Well, uh, no. I mean, <laughs> I'm going I'm to expose myself here as
0: as pretty unknown for a lot of the stuff that you're going to probably talk about.
1: Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> early declaration. Yeah. Um, Canterbury Tales. Canterbury Tales. Good knowledge. Good. Yeah. I mean, uh, and at the time uh, of him and Carl Dune, uh, we've got the Plantagenet kings of England. All right. right. You know about the Plantagenets? Mm, no. So, sort of, you know, late medieval sort of dynasty, if you know. Like. Right. Yeah. Check out some names for me. Richard II. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he, he, I think he might have been possibly the last Plantagenet king. Right. Yeah. We are t- kind of in Shakespeare's world, well, don't we? We are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's that. That's. Well, kind of the almost the first in a sequence of plays, Richard II. Then you get Henry the Fourth. Right. Part okay. one, part two. Anyway, we're we're. Uh, I'm digressing. <laughs> but certainly even Caldoun's living in one of he, almost one of the most turbulent centuries. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in recorded history some of the things that he he's sort of viewing in many cases for for his own eyes, you know, the birth of new countries, the breakdown of um Muslim uh, Al-Andalus. Are you familiar mm. with Al-Andalus? No. no. So what we what we call Andalusia now is is one of the southern provinces of Spain, right? But that was the, the Islamic name for, um, well, the the parts of the Iberian Peninsula which they occupied for an awful long. Say occupied. It's almost almost like oh yeah, you know, the normal state of affairs is it, it being yeah. occupied by West, you know, Christian civilization, but you're looking at a very long period between about sort of 700 AD. Until you get the final remnants uh, taken over by the Christian countries, right. I think in the late 15th century. Right. So, an awful long time, yeah, yeah, much yeah. longer, you know, far, far longer uh, than the existence of modern Spain. So, you see in that the sort of decline of uh, Muslim Al Andalus, the um, hundred years wars taking place in Europe, uh, the decline of the last little bits of the Roman Empire in Byzantium, and importantly, the Black Death. As well Yes And the Black Death Saw off both his parents Yeah I know yeah. Paid quite a
0: big And his teachers All his yeah, teachers So yeah. that so had a great massive time. effect I think the Black
1: Death Sort of Saw off about a third of Europe Yeah So if you want to talk about Relevance to our time Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's a far Far uh, More destructive pandemic Than sort of Coronavirus Yeah I yeah. was
0: listening to this Melvin Bragg History podcast Kind of related. Oh in, yeah. t- in Our Time
1: Yes that's right Yeah, yeah. Almost um, as popular As economics <laughs>
0: Yeah, well um, I was going to say uh, that was going to be one of my recommendations actually uh, for later on, because mm. Melvin Bragg is the most famous person I've ever st- stood next to when having a when going to the toilet Oh
1: right, okay Yeah,
0: a lecturer at St Mary's in London Right So anyway uh, yeah. <laughs> but they were saying that yeah. he's
1: I've had a wee next to Mick Hocknell Yeah, that's probably I um, think Tony, that's Tony Wilson of Factory Records fame eh? I think Mick Huck was better Oh, Brian Cox Uh, Please, uh,
0: (laughs) listeners, if you could uh, tweet the most famous person you've been next to. And if it can be Mick Hucknall or Melvin Bragg.
1: Or Brian Cox, you know. TV sort of... I still think Mick Hucknall. I've got a great story about him. It's an off-air story. Uh, Anyway,
0: no. And what I was going to say is in that podcast, they've sent the Black uh, Death, as it were. Yeah just made all his writing very pessimistic. And in fact, um, yeah. uh, was it Hobbes? Yes, Brut- Thomas, Brut- Thomas Hobbes, short, yeah. Brut- Whatever, they, that kind of statement, that's kind of, he was like that.
1: Yeah. yeah oh, you mean, writing, so, oh, right, I see. So, his perception uh, of
0: of life. Yes. Nasty, yeah. brutal, and short. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway.
1: yeah, I can see that. Uh, so he's growing up in, you know, when much of the Middle East, North Africa and also a big chunk of Spain is, is under Muslim rule. It's not a unified state, though, it's fractured. And he in his time works for a number of sort of different, uh, you know, regimes. Yeah. I mean, he kind of flits around, really. Um, and, you know, one of the things... He seems to, I say it's not a unified state, but he seems to have travelled around fairly freely around this sort of Islamic world. So there's some kind of unity culturally, even if not in terms of sort of a unified uh, state, as it were. It must have been an interesting sort of world in which to grow up. I mean, there's a lot of debate about whether it was actually more tolerant of other faiths than uh, you know, the Christian sort of countries which were, were parallel to it. So, I mean, there's some debate about that. Um, Interesting, you know, in our Marx episode, we sort of speculated about um, whether Marx's interest in the rise and fall of sort of empires was inspired. I I sort of speculated here about him growing up in Trier, where there's considerable sort of remains of great Roman buildings. Apparently, Carl Dinn was inspired by some of that, you know, sort of seeing. He compared ruins to the faded writing in a book. Yeah, well, and okay. sort of it, yeah. partly possibly that explained the rise and fall of, you know, empires which he became interested in. Um, I mean, he talked at length about the Black Death, you know, it's about this destructive plague which devastated nations, mm-hmm. you know, swallowing up many of the good things uh, associated with civilization. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he saw a lot in his time. Yeah, like I said, it, it, in 1349, Tunis, which is where he grew up in sort of modern-day Tunisia, um, is, is you know the Black Death took both his parents. Yeah. So anyway, just that's a sort of a broad perspective of the world in which he grew up. To give you a bit more biographical detail about him. He's born in 1332. Yeah. In what would be modern-day Tunis. Um, apparently, his house is still there. I oh, okay. think, yeah. Uh, the Caldunia Quarter in Tunis. I don't oh. know if it's named after him or not. Yeah. A um, bit about his name. His name is much longer. I'm trying to think. Oh, I must have written it down somewhere. Um, but I think Ibn, by the way, means son of, you know, Ibn Khaldun. Yeah. Abu got...
0: Zed Abdur Rahman Ibn
1: Khaldun. Yeah you can see why generally it's been reduced <laughs> to ibn khaldun <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so a bit about him as well uh he apparently memorized the quran apparently someone who does that gets to be yes. entitled the ha- uh, hafiz yeah. right okay I didn't know, which i didn't know yeah uh, and apparently
0: he he his education included a lot of poetry
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: and uh, and and as melvin told me today apparently <laughs> they talked a lot through poetry
1: <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, he, by the age of 20, he's beginning his political career. Yeah. In yeah. The, as a sort of, I say political career, it starts yeah. off, you know, his main job seems to have been writing in fine calligraphy. calligraphy yeah. And he's got the title of Khatib al Alama, which apparently means seal bearer. Right. Nice. Yeah. Cool. But sounds nice. Yeah. yeah. sounds like a nice job. Uh, and then he, he, uh, Later on, he's got a, he describes himself as I a mean, uh, uh, oh so, there's a description of him I a mean, respected but politically meaningless position. Uh So then he's later awarded a, uh, what, he's been given a job as a writer of royal proclamations. He seems
0: a, to jump ship quite a bit, doesn't he? he? Does he flits around a lot? Yeah, being ambassador to this one and then he's. Suddenly thinks, oh, I should be more loyal to that one. And, yeah,
1: it, there's and a lot so of scheming going yeah. on, particularly yeah. all early on in his life. And mm-hmm. he does end up inside a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's
0: two years <laughs> he in prison, isn't
1: he? There seems to be a lot of falling out of yeah. uh, with sort of, uh, you know, the leaders. And yeah. it, it doesn't always seem to be one-sided. He's, well, when it he does gets seem let, to let be out of prison, prison, the guy who lets him
0: out, he then basically sides with the other guy, I think. Yeah. Who, who basically is trying to take yeah. over his leadership.
1: So uh, it's with someone called Abu Salim. When he comes to power, uh, he then gives Ibn Khaldun a ministerial position, yeah? And it's, it's described as the first position to correspond with his ambition. So he is obviously ambitious. Yeah. You know, he sees himself as a good thing. But yeah, you're right. He does sort of flit around and he's, oh yeah, I'm going to... And suddenly I switch sides. Mm. It's, it's, it's quite confusing to keep up with. Um, at one point he decides to move to Granada, uh, and apparently, he was assured of a positive welcome there because he'd helped the fo- the Sultan of Granada, uh, the dynasty there, the Nasrids, uh regain power after temporary exile. All right. So that's Muhammad the Fifth. Right. Okay. Yeah. Have you been to Granada? No. Yeah, I thought we'd had a conversation. You had been at Granada. I don't think so. I can't remember where I go. We've had this conversation. Oh, you remember? You remember <laughs> Granada? It's I... an incredible place. You must the Alhambra. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have. You remember the Alhambra? If you've been at the Alhambra, it's a fantastic palace. It's almost like out with no, favorite. Fairy I don't tale. think I have. I'll have to ask. It's while wonderful, we go. but that was kind of the home of this the Nazarid Emirates of oh, okay. uh, Granada, which was the last bit of sort of uh, Muslim oh. Iberia or Spain, yeah. as we would call it today. Um, whilst he's working for the Sultan of Granada, he gets he gets in. Entrusted with a diplomatic uh, mission to the King of Castile, he's got a wonderful uh, name, Pedro the Cruel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be known as Gavin the Cruel, <laughs> would you? Why? Yeah, yeah. I think they wouldn't he would
0: about your lessons,
1: would they? <laughs> he gets. Yeah. Uh, I think he got the nickname the Cruel because he, he, he can. It sounds like someone like out of Game of Thrones. There's a lot of fratricide going on and things yeah. like that. Yeah, your, your brother would be looking over his shoulder a lot, I think.
0: I know you were saying, I know this is, sorry, this is a, bit of a gruesome thing, but yeah. you were saying about this kind of the end of empires that was breaking up yeah. around him when he was first kind of born. But one of the big leaders there was rolled up in a carpet and, and jumped on, and that's how he died or something. Ooh. I mean, it's, some of these
1: ways are... Quite innovative ways of dying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. At one point, yeah, so he goes on this diplomatic mission to Pedro the Cruel, and he apparently he really charms him. Mm. Uh, and Ibn Khaldun's got some ancestral uh, properties which have been right. sort of he's been taken away from him as the sort of the Christian kingdoms have moved south. And Pedro said, Oh, why don't you stick around and we'll give you your land back and you can sort of yeah, right, you yeah. know, work yeah. for me? Yeah. yeah, nice. The thing is, although he, he does sort of change, everyone wants him to work for them. They're like, oh, yeah, we've got yeah. a job for you. you know.
0: The, the, I, I know this is obviously kind of going in and I'm probably making stuff up, but I can't. There was a part of me that linked this element of him to Ostrom. Right. Because this idea of kind of understanding communities. Right. You know what I mean? And kind of what, he, he would work out solutions kind of with them. Do you know what I mean? He, I got the impression he was never imposing anything.
1: You know I yeah, I think he did a, it. Kind of like, it seems to be a little bit of scheming, though. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I just think he seems like a very good listener. And so that's why Mm. people kind of want him around, because he can obviously do things.
1: I got the impression as he sort of moved through life, he seems to become wiser. There's a lot of... Well, like a lot of young people. I imagine there's a lot of, like, ambition and sort of trying to get on. But Mm. he seems to become a bit more at peace with himself as he he moves on. When he's in Granada, he tries to shape uh, Muhammad V into his ideal of a a wise ruler.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it, it didn't go down well with... Ibn al Khatib, right. who's another sort of influential intellectual, and thought he, he, this was foolish and a danger to peace in the country. Yeah. Okay. It reminds me a bit of Machiavelli. And apparently, Machiavelli uh, was a big fan of Ibn Khaldun. Yeah, I, someone I read that somewhere that sort of, he was like that. But, you know, uh, Machiavelli, obviously, you know, the prince's famous work, he talks about the ideal ruler and sort of what ideal rulers should, could do. Yeah. And it sounds like Ibn Khaldun is on a sort of similar mission, you yeah. know. Like, So anyway, he ends up uh, back in Africa, and he's briefly he's a prime minister. Okay. Uh, And apparently, during this time as well, while working for Abu Abdallah, he carries out a daring mission to collect taxes from the local Berber tribes. (laughs) I (laughs) kind of wonder what was involved there. This sort of daring mission, like some I don't know, stealing it from their tents or something. I don't know.
0: But
1: But then he changes sides once again. It is really. Hard to keep up with, uh, and works for another s- Sultan Abu I Abbas. Yeah? I've probably I've probably butchered a lot yeah, of names already, yeah. and we're not even that far into the podcast. Uh, he's taken prison again there, um, and then he he briefly enters some kind of sort of religious establishment, uh, but then he's back at, he's residing at Fez, yeah, enjoying the patronage and confidence mm. of their region of uh, the region, rather. Um, so then, I mean, it, there's an awful lot going on. I mean, I don't know how much detail you want me to go Let's into. Let's just get bit where he gets to the castle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? That's where he writes the book, isn't it? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 So, you know, he does... Um, basically, as, as you get, once you get to about 1375, he, he's getting stuck into his writing. His most famous work is Mukadima. Uh, which is, I think it's the base, it's like a prologue if you like to an introduction. The beginning. Yeah, an introduction to a a history of the world, but it's actually become his most sort of famous work. Yeah, so he does that. Um, Again, lots of scheming (laughs) going on.
0: In later life he's a judge though. Yeah. Yeah. I think a judge But he he does go away to write, doesn't he? He Yeah, no he does. This kind of castly type place. Yeah. Yeah. But also with a kind of the the tribes
1: people, he kind of yeah, the Berbers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so
0: yeah, so he's got time and space. He's obviously felt the need to yeah, get yeah. his creative juices going. Yeah,
1: he he loves nomadic tribes. Yeah. he sees them as sort of you know the purest. Yeah, so the purest to the pure, if you like. Yeah, they're not sort of seduced by the yeah, I don't know the temptations of sed- sedentary civilization. And we'll get onto that. Because we yeah. can link that to so, another economy. So he's a judge, uh, or what's known as a caddy, Q A D I caddy, I think it's pronounced. So it's a kind of magistrate or judge, but they've got seems to have quite a lot of roles. Like you know, they mediate. They've got guardianship over yeah. sort of orphans, supervise public works. By that time, though, he's got role. so much
0: experience, isn't
1: he? Yeah, loads of experience. I tell you what, though, you think about all these jobs, he said. Imagine like you're a football manager. and yeah. You're here, there, oh, no. you're in this country for a bit. Yeah. You must, you know, yeah. Imagine, if, you know, that's how you really top football managers build up experience. Yeah. So you must have had loads of sort of diplomatic experience. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Uh, Tragically, in 1384, he fought, fought mm-hmm. he loses his wife and child, are lost at sea. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so again, quite that's a, tra- a sad tra- story. tragic life, you know. Yeah. And, you know, late years, he's, he's writing, he's acting as a judge. He's in and out of prison <laughs> when regimes change as well. Uh, Interestingly, at one point, uh, he, he meets the Mongol uh, sort of leader Timur, who's yeah. besieging Damascus. Timur the yeah. Lame, the Lame. Oh, Tamerlane is is he's yeah. often known. Yeah, yeah. But he was like he's seen as one of the greatest sort of military leaders yes. in history. You know, he's up there with like Julius Caesar. Napoleon. I saw the play uh, not long ago, oh, Tamerlane. Did you? Yeah, Tom that's Marlo, it, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, At yeah, The Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah, very bloody. Yeah. Yeah. well you get that he's a pretty brutal I think, yeah even Carl Dean's slightly horrified by you know but they how long he
0: stayed with him is about well. there for yeah. seven weeks or something he yeah. was and quite think, there quite a long time
1: wasn't he I think they had you know there's a lot in his biography where he talks about meeting Tamerlane he goes into loads of detail about what they talked about I think partly what Tamerlane's trying to get out of him is oh give me details of this place where uh, you grew yeah, up because okay. I think he's looking to sort yeah. of you know Take it over. I mean, he yeah. does end up with a you know pretty sizable empire. So yeah, he does write that for him as well. He writes right. a little account of the, the Maghreb, uh, right. where he grew up. Yeah, interesting. So he ends up in Cairo, completes his autobiography. Bit more judging. Uh, I think at one point he's gets involved in. You know, he's he's arrested. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, and then he, he dies in fourteen oh six. Yeah, he's had
0: a long life though, isn't he. I mean, yeah. for that for that era.
1: Yeah. You know, what, mm. 70... What was it? 73? Oh, yeah. One, it? It's interesting. We say 1406. Of course, he wouldn't have seen it's 1406 because it would have been in the Islamic calendar. Right. So I think... I think I'll have up somewhere. It's 732 in the Islamic calendar. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? I, I remember talking about this earlier, like... We have all these concepts of time which we almost just see as, like, very fixed. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's this year. It's this. It's this. And actually... Like the Romans had a completely different calendar, you know. Yeah, September would have been the seventh month until they inserted a couple more. Mm-hmm.
0: Well,
1: yeah. There you go. And it, 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 I must have told you this fact before. Like the Roman hour actually changed depending on the time of year. They just divided daylight hours by twelve. Did you ever chat with Frank Cox
0: about it while you were week? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. But imagine, like in the winter, like your lessons would last you know, not long. You know, yeah. you just divide the daylight hours by twelve. You know? quite good. You'd be him, you believe in even earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess that's him. That's uh, you know, the period of history. Yeah. Um so, looking at his key ideas, and some of them are very familiar these are ideas that we've come across when we've looked at other podcasts uh, sorry other thinkers so specialization you know yeah. the idea that you know production is increased when people specialize and you know labor is divided it's an idea we associate with adam smith but he's very clearly talking about it a good sort of 300 years earlier yeah yeah um Similarly, the labour theory of value, which we associate with Marx and with Ricardo, he's talking about that. I've got a little quote, uh, you know, there's nothing here except the labour. Labour is not desired by itself as acquired, but the value realised from it, you know. Carpentry and weaving, for instance, are associated with wood and yarn. However, the labour that goes into them is more important. Its value is greater. You know, she's, she's talking... So the modern world, you know the, you know, the value of things, which is what in sort of Smith and Ricardo's time is the kind of the word they use for price, is determined by, you know, the labour that goes into it. So a very sort of modern idea in economic terms.
0: Yeah, I've got some of this stuff here. Where, for instance, no one by himself can obtain the share of the wheat he needs for food. But when six or ten persons, including a Smith and a carpenter to make the tools and others who are in charge of the oxen, the ploughing, of the soil, the harvesting of the ripe grain, all the other agriculture activities, undertake to obtain their food and work towards that purpose either separately or collectively and thus obtain through their labour a certain amount of food that would be food for a number of people many times their own. So again, mm. that development of specialisation. Yeah. There's a line of uses that for me, you know, rings out that kind of thing what about the bene- benevol- benevolence, benevolence of the, of the baker. Whatever. The baker, the farmer, yeah, butcher here. and so on. Yeah. You know, obtained after much preparation such as grinding, kneading and baking. Each of these three operations require utensils and tools that could be provided only with the help of several crafts such as the crafts of the blacksmith, the carpenter, and the porter. And again, it's kind of the cooperation yeah. kind of need, all these things kind of flowing together. Yeah. You know, probably working quite selfishly, but within yeah. cooperating to produce yeah. more than they need. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Because there is some kind of, there's been, you can listen to the discussion where they wonder whether Smith had read.
1: Yeah, I did, I've read about that, and it's almost like maybe he didn't read it, but he read maybe in other people who yeah. had read yeah even khaldun if you know what i mean he might have read their work and yeah. they'd read him so but to be fair to smith or to be fair to anyone you know you know brilliant minds can independently come up with the um, you know the same the same thoughts you know if you think about the the people you know we always associate darwin with the theory of evolution but there's the other chap alfred wallace yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He lived in hartford actually just down the road yeah uh, but he independently, you know, came up with the same theory. You know, there was also in
0: as a I can't remember, um, um, a radio show which was called Muhammad and the Market.
1: Yeah,
0: and they're talking about how Al Ghazali was there four hundred years before. You know, um, Ibn Khaldun talking right. about specialization yeah. and and yeah. his writing as well. So you kind of got this thing about where does it? It's all more yeah, you know, churned up and
1: mixed up isn't it i suppose at some point it, it becomes formulated into a format which we with modern ni- minds can absorb yeah. but the ideas aren't necessarily no. enormously original one know. of the issues uh, i read that he just wasn't translated still it's interesting there's a guy from the there's an interview between um Someone from the IEA yeah, yeah, on yeah. YouTube, and he's yeah. interviewing sort of someone who's written extensively about Ibn Carl and he says even now, big chunks of its work are not translated yeah. into Western languages. Yeah, mm. so you kind of think without that, it's completely inaccessible. Yeah, to to us, to <laughs> us, yeah, no, no, to us, yeah, yeah, And yeah, yeah. um, so another idea which is touched upon in his writing is. Um, And this is a bit more controversial because at least one of his biographers think, uh, mm, not quite sure he did say this. And people have picked up on it. And we'll see quite a few people have picked up on this. And this is the disincentive effect of taxation. Yes. So in sort of modern economics, as an economist, we associate with the Reagan era in America, Arthur Laffer. Yeah. You talked about the Laffer Curve. Apparently, he wrote that on the back
0: of a napkin. Back of yeah. a napkin. Very famous story. Yeah. And you can r- <laughs> r- watch it all.
1: <laughs> but on yeah, the IAS, I think it's quite a simple idea, really. It's just that some he would argue that if you increase the marginal rate of taxation, so like the proportion of extra income that you're taxed, uh, eventually people will there'll be disincentive effects. People will choose not to work. Or they'll avoid tax in some way or evade it, you know. Yeah. Um. So actually, if you lowered taxation according to the Laffer curve, you could actually increase your revenues because more people would work harder. Yeah. Or you'd get less tax avoidance and mm-hmm. tax evasion, and so you'd increase your tax revenues. There's actually very little ob- ev- objective evidence to support That's it in quite, quite the terms La- Laffer formulated, but. Apparently, uh, Ibn Khaldun talked about this and sort of said, Oh, you know, at the start of civilizations, because he talks about the rise and fall of civilizations, you tend to get high tax revenues and low taxes, whereas at the end, when they've gone into decline, you get um, high taxes and low revenues. Yeah, a lot of people have picked up on that as oh, yeah, he's talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. disincentive effects, but. As I said, I'll talk about that when we look at yeah, cri- it's criticisms. It's not necessarily a
0: policy measure, it's to do with time. That's what I read
1: somewhere. Yeah, and we'll talk you about know. that when we look at criticisms. But, uh, but it, it is important, to... again, thinking
0: about was it the, you know, influence in modern society today? I mean, um, Boris Johnson quoted him, basically, I think last year. Yeah, he did, you know, yeah. I've um, got I've
1: got that quote, actually. It's apparently it's, it's some things, you know, he's trying to get elected to become leader of the, the Conservative Party. And someone said, how do you pay for more public spending without increasing the deficit? I'm, like, I'm not going to do a Johnson impression. I'm gonna, <sighs> go no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> he said, because it was the... I can't oh, because it was a great oh, 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 Tunisian sage Ibn Khaldun in the 14th century, who pointed out that there are some taxes that you can cut that actually stimulate growth. And loads of... Apparently Tory grassroots members, like, rah, clapping a lot at that point. And they said, I think Ibn Khaldun observed that when it came to, I think it was the date harvest or olives or something. I can't remember exactly what, but they cut the tax on, 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 on. I don't know, you can imagine. He
0: probably made up half of it anyway.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: but Reagan, Reagan also quoted him. No, he did, but yeah. Apparently it was Laffer who fed him the line. so, yeah. You know
1: yeah. I think most of Reagan's speeches, to be fair, yeah. he was very good at reading them out. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how many of them he would have wrote. Yeah, but that, but the yeah. but, but
0: again, relating it, so we've kind of got that link to Laffer, we've already said that kind of yeah. link to Smith. Uh, within that specialization division, labor, I don't know if you're going to go on to this, but you know, we can see the importance of trade across countries we've got the ricardo yeah yeah. kind of situation going on i've
1: had to be selective in terms of the ideas that i've looked at because he looked at loads of things he's one of these people i mean nowadays we tend to see specialists you know people who um you know will really focus on one discipline you know he's just like i want to know about everything yeah yeah. i'm interested in everything i want to try and you know, come up a bit like Mark, you know, overarching theories of how the whole world yeah. has worked and yeah. how it's ever worked, you know, which you kind of think we don't really do these days. No, There's no, a sort of is. lack of yeah. ambition in intellectual thought and he, he's definitely got that uh, that ambition.
0: Yeah, I've got a little, a little. It, says, it says it here, Ibn Khaldun does not stop at asserting certain that the division of labour is limited by the extent of domestic market, rather includes international markets as well. He said certain cities have craft that others lack. So there's a kind of absolute advantage thing there, isn't there? Kind of going on, um, you know, and that each region should basically specialise in in kind of uh, what they're doing. But again, uh, I, again, um, related to the Laffer curve or whatever, you kind of understood the importance of government spending in terms of stimulating yeah. an economy. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: that kind of feeds
1: into it as, as well. Have you got anything on that, or not? Really? Um, I wasn't going. The, the last idea I was going to really talk about was this idea you know this idea the cyclical rise and fall of, of nations if you like okay yeah? So uh, I'll talk- well, no, 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 yeah well let me
0: just quickly also say that um there's a bit in there as well when we did our alfred marshall one we talked about glasgow and agglomeration and yeah. economies of scale and stuff like that again he kind of understood as well about the importance of cities so it says there um Uh, larger the number of people in a city, the greater will be the demand for goods and services, which leads to an increase in the supply through increased productive activity and capital accumulation in society. So again, he understood this need to have cities. because You get the economies of scale, you get the specialisation. That then feeds into discussion of demand and supply that he Mm. then talks about as well. Mm. He talks about elasticity in many respects. But he describes them as um, compulsion. That's the way that he kind of uses it as well, which is really interesting. Um, There's kind of other stuff. He talks a lot about uh, the labour market. There's a bit where he says that, um, you know, when we teach labour market, why are some people paid maybe less? Because of their job like like vocational. He talks about basically Um. the vocational jobs. Yeah. will be paid less because of the respect that they have within society. Yeah. So you talking about that. So you're kind of thinking, yeah. like, labour market, division, yeah. you know, there's, there's so much content. Yeah. It's just kind of uh, b- bewildering, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Um, We've gone go to the cycle one because that fits into another one, I think, in a moment.
1: Yeah, so I guess the Mukadema, which is his sort of most famous work, the central theme of it is why nations... Come to power and what causes their decline and in some respects you can understand given the historical context we talked about earlier why he was preoccupied with this he's got ancestral lands in northern Spain and you can see that you know andutheia this sort of uh, Islamic uh, kingdom throughout Spain is getting smaller and smaller it's got it, it's gone in you know arguably into decline um so he's very interested in well, what is it? What causes civilizations to rise and what causes them uh, to fall again? A sort of concept related to that he calls asabia, yeah, which is kind of social solidarity. And he says at the start of a civilization, you've got um, you know simple sort of tri- tribal societies who are really all together, yeah, yeah. and they will sort of conquer sort of cities which have become sort of soft, if you like, um, and also more controversially kind of multicultural. And the idea is that people aren't bound together anymore yeah. by a common cause. Um, um, I'm not sure I agree with that, but, um, you know, the, the idea that a multicultural society can't still be bound together uh, by, a modern, uh, by, a, by a cause. But certainly you can see the idea, this simple tribal society, yeah. everyone's the, the same, if you like. We're all bound together. And really
0: authoritarian kind of leadership as well. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That.
1: But they then sort of invade, take over. But after a while, they come sort of seduced, if you like, by the the attractions of the city, and they yeah. sort of fall into that. You know, um, more sedentary mm-hmm. existence. And then there'll be another cycle coming along of more sort of tough nomads, if you yeah. like, who'll take over. Earth. Yeah, they talked about yeah. like five
0: generations it kind of takes to yeah. kind of feed through. And they're saying that once you lose that social solidarity, yeah, because you know that the people are kind of getting restless a little bit, yeah. it means that you have to pay for more mercenaries, which yeah. means you have to raise the tax yeah. burden and then that in itself. But there's, a, there's another thing, yeah. this is why I say I relate it. I mean, obviously, you've already said how it kind of relates to Schumpeter's kind of business cycles yeah, because you see yeah, it be, very loosely well i think yeah, you see yeah, that with yeah. with like um you know uh leaders who have a vision and then they pass it down like the murdoch vision for example yeah. and then when he starts passing it down to his son and mm. you know and, and as it will go on it kind of weakens <laughs> a little bit yeah, yeah but but also to the idea of veblen and conspicuous consumption because they go into the cities and like mm. you're saying there it said um as income rises to high levels, not only the quantity demand of a good increases, but the demand for a large number of differentiated goods. Mm. Okay, And it says here that uh, he describes that in the prosperous state of the economy, which comes after civilization has grown, people with resources to waste are ready to pay exorbitant prices for diverse luxury yeah, goods. It does sound like Yeah, too. so yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? Where you kind of think, oh, well, hold up a second. Then everyone's looking at, look at those dudes. They're taxing us and they're on the... Ex- you know yeah, yeah, yeah. on these luxury goods and it is conspicuous consumption mm. but eventually you're going to have people rising up yeah or from outside
1: yeah exactly yeah. or the other yeah. Uh, yeah you do you do wonder what he would have made of granada cuz uh, you know i say earlier uh, the alhambra is incredible it, you know it's probably one of the most beautiful places i've been to right. you kind of wonder whether he would have been impressed by that or whether, <laughs> whether he would have thought mm, you know this is a sign of yeah because you, you would look at it and think, well, this is a flourishing yeah. um, civilization. But, uh, you know, the, Na- the Nazarids lasted a fair amount of time. But I think, you know, not much long after, you know, well, I say much longer after. It's still probably mm-hmm. uh, 70, 80 years before uh, you get the last sort of Nazarid monarch.
0: But the, the, the the concept of um, is is really interesting because... After kind of reading about it, I watched this um Afua Hirsch program. Oh yeah, yeah on kind of Ethiopia and um, I think they were the uh, one country that wasn't colonized. Is that right? Also, or, or Italy tried to yeah, and you know, they to combat you know whatever. And you kind of think you could see the kind of asabaya that the kind yeah. of they had as a community to kind of fight even though a much smaller army. Yeah, you know, and this is where I suppose it's like the the three hundred. Oh, you yeah. know, kind of, you know, that, but but yeah. but for me, that was yeah. such a really interesting again thing to read because mm-hmm. it made you think about Trump, yeah. you know, and the way that he tries to get this, you know, the MAGA crew, you know, make America yeah. great again. And he builds about, he builds about, and he gets into power, yeah. but then slowly over time, we well, hope maybe, we yeah. don't know yet what's going to happen, that people see that... You know, he's getting the riches and maybe not helping us. Yeah. But Brexit is another one. You know, yeah. the way that you can try and get Asabaya between like social solidarity between different groups. Maybe Johnson did that very well or mm. Cummings did that very well. It's a really interesting concept. Of, and then how do you keep that together, that social solidarity? Because yeah. uh, naturally, over time, it's always going to wane. Mm.
1: It is really interesting. I mean, uh, I sort I, I of almost started speculating as you know, it's almost like the US, this sort of sedentary, urban sort of civilization, whereas it's China, this sort of hungrier yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of country coming along almost to take over, not in a kind of uh, a military sense, but in a kind of, you know, martial yeah, trading like, yeah, spirit, yeah. if you like. Um. Yeah, but there again, I mean, perhaps we're trying to apply our what we always say we're not trying to do. We often try and put thinkers in their time. And we might be trying to sort of force his ideas on uh, sort of the modern world in a sort of fairly uh, false way. But I do find that fascinating. You know, the whole, you know, science, if you like, of what causes the decline of civilizations. It's fascinating, isn't it? There's still people coming up with sort of new and novel ideas as to what caused the, you know, the decline of the Roman Empire, you know, hundreds and hundreds of sort of years later. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see him in the midst of it, where he can see, it's a very turbulent time, as we've said all, already, you see kingdoms rise and fall. You can see why an intelligent, sensitive man would try and would want to try and yeah. explain that, you know. Um, but yeah, I found that concept really, really interesting. He's a big fan of sort of nomadic sort yeah. of
0: people. But I can understand why Schumpeter also found him fascinating. You know, because yeah. he lived in through that turmoil, didn't he? he yeah, no, in, he did. You yeah. know, and that kind of yeah. sense of yeah. why things rise and fall and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because that was it? He divided civilization into two two kind of areas: nomadic, rural, and sedentary, and urban. And the move between the two, he said, well, Umrem Badawi was rural to Umrem Hadari, which was urban. And again, my natural thought of that was straight away Lewis two sector model. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this is the point. It's a classic kind of thing yeah. of confirmation bias. Yeah, we're not He's, careful. Yeah, then, exactly. Oh, you yeah, <laughs> was talking about this.
1: It reminds oh, no. me a little bit, actually, where, if um, you ever read Nostradamus? Like, oh, uh, you know, it's like predictions of the yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. And they're just garbled nonsense yeah. to me. But then people are, oh, yeah, but what that yeah. means is that's like... Cold reading. Yeah. Do you remember when we were at <laughs> um, you know, the school you're at now where I used to okay. work with you? Uh, we better not name them, but... We had an assembly once by this uh, religious thinker uh, and she definitely went off message. And she started talking about how oh, Hitler was predicted by the Old Testament. Right. I remember looking at the head thinking, oh. <laughs> there's all these kids <laughs> just sat there like looking. Uh, I remember saying to the head teacher afterwards, oh, yeah, she kind of went, yes, we I might not have her back. <laughs> 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 yeah but no you you can get into that can't you and there's so much of it around and it's true this
0: is the danger of reading lots of it because you just think no way
1: no way no but i mean yeah we need to give them a fair crack of the whip as well i'm just saying there's a balance isn't what we've always tried to do with all our thinkers is keep keep them in their time but sort of try and pick up on the bits which still have a modern application but we can't we can't do that wholesale yeah he's writing in the yeah. You know, the late 14th century to explain a particular yeah. sort of set of concerns, but still fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really interesting. What perhaps in some respects he's, he's most famous for, or, you know, because he, he does break out into a number of dis- different disciplines. Some people see him as one of the founding fathers of sociology, yeah. but quite he, he writes at length about his philosophy of history like yeah. how history should be conducted and as a lot of people in the 20th century say this has almost not been bettered you know this sort of description of how history should be conducted is still still really really well done yeah. And i suppose we could say that i mean un- unfortunately for me economics has almost tried to chop itself away from sort of history and so oh you know no we're a science you yeah. know whereas again he is probably more like Veblen saying no no you know we, we need to look at yeah. you know economic decisions within the broader context well, of, oh, really? yeah you know, that, you know the broader it, yeah. context of institutions and society and he's he's definitely of that ilk you know yeah. where he's looking let's look at the whole picture you know how all these different factors interact rather than just sort of assuming it away yeah. which is what you see in some you know less interesting economics in my view so I think I've covered what I wanted to say about you know his main ideas. No brilliant yeah. brilliant. I
0: mean that that is I mean I've I've put together a little graphic that i put on Twitter. Right. that shows where I see that you can kind of maybe do this link to him and other economists. But mm. clearly he's a fascinating guy and we are kind of dipping our toes aren't we into this big ocean. We are of Ibn Khaldun yeah. and and ultimately other scholars out there from the yeah. past that maybe has been massively overlooked yeah. you know and kind of quite poignant i think you know to what's been happening over the summer about you know yeah. who writes history and all this kind of stuff like that yeah. and, and
1: but we'll get on to that won't we? yeah i mean we i've heard I this lovely quote today by newton yeah and he talked about um he compared sort of his pursuit of knowledge. It's like I'm like a child on playing on the beach next to this vast ocean of knowledge. Beautiful. So we've been like children playing on the beach next to this vast ocean of knowledge about Ibn Khaldun. Well, I was talking about who are we next to. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, we'll have that as the end then.
0: Okay. So, uh, what do the critics say uh, about Ibn Khaldun? Uh,
1: well, are, are we reading, well, we've already kind of talked about this. Are we well, reading in a way that leads to some sort of confirmation? Process? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm sure some of it is translation. There's a lovely quote by Robert Frost and he says that uh, poetry is what is lost in translation. Right. In other words, you know, you can lose the real meaning of something in the process of translation. And certainly uh, there's a recent biographer, a guy called Robert Irwin, who's writing in 2018, actually, you know, really quite recently. And he looks at kind of what Reagan has said about Khaldun, what uh, even Khaldun, what Boris Johnson has said. And he said, well, actually what he was really saying was it's not causative, you know, like taxation being increased is not what causes decline. It's more a reflection of decline. It's like political and moral factors call a, a, cause a dynasty to decline. And by the end of it, yeah. they're having to whack up taxes to try and sort of fund their spending. But it's not saying that, you know, the whacking up taxes is what causes yeah, yeah, yeah. decline. So his view is that there's a kind of, there's a there's a misreading going on there and a usual sort of selectivity mm. to try and, you know, it's going to be like red meat, isn't it? It's a Tory party yeah, yeah. grassroots, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, this guy years ago was talking about yeah. tax cuts. and Common sense. Yeah, he was kind of talking about corporation tax thinking, was he? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so th- th- that's an interesting criticism. But lo- lots of people are very positive about him. As I said, that you know Arnold uh, Toynbee talked about just how much he valued his view of how history should be conducted. Yeah. Um, I think you know, it, to, to modern ears, certainly, I read from it a slight sort of critique of you know multiculturalism, and you kind of think almost oh, that that's a weakness and. You know, my personal view of that is that's not quite correct. If you take America, for example, um, I, but again, it's probably because we're trying to apply this to sort of completely different context. But America's founded on, you know, lots of people from different nations coming together. Yeah. But I guess they do have a, an asobia or have historically with this idea of the American dream. You know, yeah. we, we can be whatever we want to be. So there is, remember when I talk, uh, taught sociology, there's a sociologist called Bella. Who talks about civic religion and almost like the American, you know, culture of the flag and these sort of yeah. symbols bring people together, even if they have different religious beliefs and are coming from different countries. Yeah, and that helps formulate. Obviously, Bella didn't call it this, but what even um, Carl might have called um, asabiya. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think what I I, I I can't remember what show I was reading about. or no, show I was watching. We're kind of related to that something about how obviously the kind of black african community were the only ones who were kind of dragged there obviously through slavery rather than chasing the dream yeah you know and so that sort of superiority kind of over them you know has has then kind of created these kind of fractures as it were and and so uh, asabai or whatever and 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 that is obviously the problems that you still have today potentially and who's going to come along and mend that you'd hope Kind of Obama might have yeah. bought something around that, but it's still, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a tr- tricky one. Yeah, but there you go. So is that is that the end for the criticism? I think it is. Okay. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, yeah. I mean, he's obviously not a contemporary kind of guy who people would get stuck
1: into because most people don't really know. No, to yeah. be, to be fair, There's a lot of writing about him. Yeah. I think there is a, a you know, a lot. And but from an, economic's perspective, yeah, from an economic perspective, because we're in marketing, yeah,
0: you just go and have a look at the critics of whatever you know, we'd kind of say yeah. in, in that respect. Uh, food time. Uh what were we eating today, Pete? That is a spurious link to the economist in question. Right. I mean, really, sorry, I, we should say would you we wouldn't really classify him as an economist though, would we? I,
1: I mean well, I think you can. I mean right. uh, the, to be honest, if we're gonna like
0: you he know, story terms, and sociology...
1: Well, he probably wouldn't have given himself any of those right. names. I'm not quite sure what he would have called it. I don't think Adam Smith would have called himself an right, economist okay. though. Okay. You know, would have said, you know yeah. You know, so I, I don't think we can Excluding from the crew. Uh, okay, all right, well. yeah. I'm hoping for some Middle Eastern flavors, Pete. Well, he actually had a lot to say about food. Yeah, he had a lot to say about food and a kind of the abundance and moisture in food materials bringing about harmful accumulations. Mm. Is that obesity? <laughs> I don't know. The body becomes enlarged and deformed oh, due is. to these ways. It does sound like it, doesn't yeah. it? So that's a modern problem, isn't it? Uh, it, it doesn't sound great um, It's followed by the skin Turning a dull and pale colour mm. Yeah So he he's basically has a lot to say About how excessive food And the wrong type of food Is, is not good for one And he loves Bedouin culture All right. You know the idea of leaving a simple life Simple foods and oh, so I'll on Hold up a second
0: Am I well, just going to get like a grain of rice or something <laughs>
1: <laughs> Uh well, he says about it, just to say that, the desert people who lack grain and seasonings are found to be healthier in body and better in character mm. than the hill people who have plenty of everything. Oh,
0: my word, he's got dietary advice as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this guy, is, he's all over it's it. It's like Joe Wicks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so there, there are various sort of like, bed- you know, there's various things I came across. Like Tamerlane apparently served him something called rishta. All right. Uh, which is a kind of lentil soup. Nice. But I've not made you that. By the way, lovely Bedouin proverb, he who shares my bread and salt is not my enemy. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah so, it, you know, metaphorically speaking, you're going to share my bread and salt. All right. And, you know, <laughs> not, not be my enemy. <laughs> uh, Have you my bread? No. All right, okay. Okay, I see. I've gone fairly low key, partly because, you know, you're so sort of down on excessive food. Yes. I felt like I had to go with that. Good. So, I've made you a Bedouin tea. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So, it's kind of like a tea with various herbs and spices in it. Yeah. It could be quite refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll go and brew that. Yeah. Brew that. Um, Apparently, before you eat this, the Bedouin tend to say Bismillah al Rahman al Rahim, which means in the name of God, the Beneficent, the Merciful. So, see if you can remember that. Then, when you've finished (laughs) it, you've had enough. Yeah. you can say Al ham, ham, ha, Alhamdulillah which means all praise and thanks be to God okay if yeah you, can, you got all you up? might have to remind me well we might let, we might <laughs> let it go yeah okay so I'm going to go and brew that up and then bring it back up okay are you ready for that yes right so we're back in the room uh, so Gab I want you to imagine you've just you know we've been eating under the stars yeah we've had a, a Bedouin barbecue lovely yeah. simple food yeah, it's not the type of food to make one bloated or go a bit weird and pale yeah. looking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, fed my camel. Yeah. By the way, one of the things apparently one of the, part of the etiquette is you can't finish first. Want my drink, or just like the food generally. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you kind of think someone okay. must. It must be yeah, like this game exactly. of chicken every time. Then it's like yeah. he finished
0: first. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe a bit like my daughter. You just yeah. always leave a tiny little thing
1: on your plate. Yeah. Which is really annoying. I think that's polite though in some cultures. Yeah. It shows. it almost says to the guest, Oh, you give me so yeah, much I couldn't yeah. I couldn't possibly finish it. Yeah. Mm. Right, so what do you think? Crikey. Well
0: <laughs> I've just tried it. And um Yeah, well I've got the honey. You got the honey?
1: Do you taste any other flavours in there?
0: I'm trying to smell it. I mean it's not it's No. No. Cinnamon? No. <laughs> time? Yes. Yeah. I'm getting some time. Uh, 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 yeah. yeah. Anything else? Well, just tea then. Well, look, while we're drinking, it's quiz time. Okay, great. Yeah, so this is the opportunity for you to show off your skills and for everyone else, obviously, to play at home. Great. Now, what I've done is I've tried to combine Schumpeter and sort of Ibn Khaldun, yeah, right. in this simple quiz.
1: Okay, great. So what I'm going to do
0: is I'm going to give you 10 things.
1: 10? Well, wow. yeah, because yeah. we're economics and 10. Yeah.
0: And what you're going to do is try and split them into what was invented in the Arab world oh, right. and what was invented in China.
1: Right, okay.
0: Okay, so I'll list them first. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, you can then guess. And right. so that will give the You time. might
1: have to read them out again.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah no, we'll do it. Yeah. i read them yeah. all out, and then I'll go, right, that one, boom, yeah. that one, Got So it. this gives the opportunity for people at home to pause and go, mm, what do you want to do? Okay, okay, ready? Right. Right. Uh, the kite.
1: Checks. Checks?
0: What yeah, you as mean? in like a written... Oh, yeah, yeah. Check, okay. Three-course meal, restaurant menu, uh, a combination lock, a mechanical clock. Right. Uh, Paper money, uh, earthquake detector, and a hospital. Right. Oh, and soap. Soap, right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, are we ready? Yeah. Checks. I'm going to say...
0: Um, China Okay First one wrong huh. That was from the Arab world Comes from the Arab world Sack S-A-Q-Q
1: yeah.
0: Okay For a written vow To pay for goods
1: Right Okay Okay
0: Alright Three course meal <laughs> The Arab world Correct yeah. Well done Okay it Came from Ziriab A Persian musician Apparently yeah. who Set up these three course meals uh, A mechanical clock China Correct. Uh, (laughs) uh, The kite. Uh, China. Correct. Are you you on a roll? Okay. Combination lock. Uh, China. Roll. (laughs) Soap. The Arab world. Correct. Earthquake detector.
1: You get more in China I
0: China. Correct. Paper
1: money. They invented checks. so paper money is sort of only a small step from Czechs. Arab world. China. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> and hospital. <laughs> Hospitals.
0: I want to say the Arab world. It was the Arab world. Apparently, it's in Cairo eight eight seven
1: two. Right. Yeah,
0: so there you go. So what when did you, you get?
1: say the invented hospitals, the Romans had hospitals.
0: Well, apparently that was the first ever built hospital. I mean, to be honest, when yeah. I look this up, right. Where did, you get, where did you get this from? I reckon you got about five out of ten there.
1: Yeah. You didn't even count up. No, I didn't. Well, you
0: got, uh, got three-course meal right, didn't you? Mm. And you got uh, soap right. So well, I didn't really do better than 50-50. Did, you get, did we do restaurant menu? Yeah. Did you get that right?
1: No, oh, no, I didn't. A free cost meal. I don't mean you did say restaurant menu. Restaurant menu. menu. Uh,
0: China. Correct. So you got that one, right? Six out of ten. Yeah, so Come about on. six out of ten. Okay. And uh, I got this from insider.com and from another place. But what was interesting is that toothbrushes, yeah, which I put down originally for the Outworld, world, was then also claimed this piece that I read about China. Yeah. So toothbrushes was something that they both claimed. Right so there you go anyway little fun quiz hope everyone played at home yeah okay. I'm sure they loved it yeah I'm, I'm sure they done right okay what is your favourite story about Ibn that you came across when reading up on him <clears throat>
1: I've got to say I didn't find that many amusing stories yeah Um, I found some quite extreme stories but not that many that made me laugh but I did like just when he met Tamerlane yeah his entrance apparently was lowered by ropes wow yeah for this meeting yeah and I thought wow that Must be some entrance. I was kind of thinking to myself, I'd quite like that. Let's say you're doing an assembly at school, and all the kids sat there looking a bit bored, and you get lowered lowered, by ropes, like just looking at everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: And then start speaking. What that also. I think it was during a siege of a city, by the way. There was (laughs) a.
0: <laughs> there, was there was a reason, a reason behind it. He yeah, yeah. was like hiding
1: in a bunker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but,
0: but yeah. yeah. I think, well, and that fits in with um, because you, that could be what he comes in on, like if he was boxing. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we'll leave it there. So, okay, being lowered in to meet uh, Tamalaine. Okay, um, we're trying to appeal to the younger demographic and all the geeks out there. Uh, so, if Ibn Khaldun was a character in the Marvel universe or Star Wars. Who would he be and why? Yeah. And um, what's fascinating about Star Wars is that obviously filmed in Tunisia. Yes. Yes, I'd mm. forgotten
1: that. Yeah. Right. So, it <laughs> sounded a bit like Yoda then. <laughs> who, who are you going for? Well, with the Marvel Universe, I did struggle a bit. Then I was thinking he, he was in quite a few crews. Yeah. And so I was thinking, you know, like some sort of superheroes moved behind, around between crews. Yeah. And like the magazine versions, like that Spider-Man? Right. Spider Man sort of moves, sort of between like he's part of the Avengers at one point, other point he's right. the Defenders in, right. in, okay. in the in the magazine version, so he moves between a few different crews. Also, like lowered by ropes, right. <laughs> <laughs> but there again, I was thinking he's very cerebral, yeah. very flexible in terms of his sort of uh, abilities to. And I thought Reed Richards, All right? Mr. fantastic. Like okay, Um uh, that yeah? it? For Marvel, yeah.
0: I looked up straight away. Are there any Arabian superheroes in the Marvel universe? That is there. Yeah, there was a little list.
1: Okay. And
0: what I found fascinating, and I think I'm going to trump yours. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. There's
0: a person called Gilgamesh. Right. Right. Who is apparently in this group called the Eternals? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You heard of them? I think Thanos is of kind of related to that. There's a film coming out of the Eternals. Yeah. But he's known. This character yeah. is known, I thought this is perfect,
1: yeah.
0: as the Forgotten One. I like that. It's perfect.
1: Yeah. It's
0: been, they forgotten as part. Yeah. Like anyway, that. so there you go. Uh, Star so we'll go, Wars. We'll go
1: with that. I did struggle with Star Wars, despite, and I hate to say this, going to make it sound like a total dork. Mm. With lockdown and the lack of, sort of social engagement, I did re-watch all nine yeah. Star Wars films. But I still struggled with this one. Have you and not then, got a name? I've got no, a name. I've got a name. Right, okay. you know, <laughs> I, I just ended up, and it's a bit of a cliche, but he's quite wise. I've the right. of Yoda. Yeah, but we've used it. We use Yoda. Yeah, that's but really well, yeah, but I, to be honest, I don't think that's particularly. Don't worry, I've got one. Apt because I think, particularly when he's young, he had a bit more of an edge to him right. you know, than Yoda. All right. Well, look.
0: Right. Who have you got? I've got because obviously what I did obviously I looked up Arabian characters. <laughs> In the Star you Wars do know universe, that Star Wars is no. I know uh, that yeah. right. the universe. Far, what far would you was. get if you type that into Google? Okay, yeah. yeah. And funnily enough, right, like, there was loads of articles about how obviously George Lucas borrowed a lot heavily from the kind of Arabian world. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there was a really interesting piece by Marginal Revolution. You know that our, you know, university. Yeah, we've talked about it before. So, Admiral Akbar.
1: I nearly said Admiral Akbar
0: because it means the greatest in Arabic. Uh, Akbar. Right.
1: That's
0: cool. <laughs> I love Admiral Akbar. I know. And he's quite a cool character. He's like a leader of yeah, men. He's quite and stuff wise. Like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wise well. So it, it does actually fit in.
1: Yeah. As well as. Yeah. Admiral mm-hmm. Akbar's Immortal Line. Uh, what is immortal it? Immortal Line. What? You don't know it? No. It's a trap. <laughs> That's Whoa. a bit of a, a meme
0: as the young We've folks say. So, We've impressions yeah. uh, tonight, Peter. It's mm-hmm. nice to hear. So good, okay. Oh, I love Admiral that I'm you yeah, well. mentioned it. I'm, I'm pleased. Okay. Uh, what books would you recommend if people want to learn more about uh, Ibn Khadu or or some of his ideas? Yeah,
1: so um, as you said, more, more than you would like has still not been translated into Western languages but you can find The Mukadema fairly right. easily online and it is his most uh, famous work. And um, there's some quite interesting videos on YouTube because, uh, obviously, like we always say, read them in the original and, you know, yeah. you, one can do that relatively easily. It's much longer than I thought it'd be. Right. Consider it's like the preface. You're thinking, bloody hell, how long is the bigger one. Yeah. <laughs> Um There's some interesting YouTube uh, clips. There's an I.A. one uh, where... I can't remember what the dude's called from the I.A. But he interviews uh, someone who's written about Ibn Khaldun. Yeah. About well, I early... Mean, or something. Yeah, Benedict Curler, about early Islam and the birth of capitalism. And he sees Ibn Khaldun as a kind of early sort of liberal, as it were, and talks about why he thinks that. I found a really interesting uh, blog post just about that uh, historic meeting between Tamerlane and uh, Ibn Khaldun. So we could probably post that somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he himself is not difficult to read. What I suppose is, is interesting is, you know, a lot of the sort of anthologies that we normally recommend, like The Great Economist yeah, don't, or don't. Yeah. Galbraith book or Doctor Strange Loves Game, I don't think I need to go back and look. Maybe I'm sort of doing them at a surface, but No, I, I had a I, big rummage around on it. Yeah, there's not much There's not yeah. not much in there. I wonder if in the Galbraith book there's a mention of him, but possibly one The one I
0: came across yeah. that did include him was Amon Butler's book called the 101 liberal thinkers right where he, he talks about him obviously very brief as all of them very brief but mm. related to property rights right yeah um and um yeah um th- there was a book by this guy called uh, ed west mm. who, who and his book is called asabaya you know, and, and talks about that concept and applies it to kind of modern living. And, and it's a really, really good book. Um, I would encourage people to to read that. I would say, um I think we should probably frag up, probably, I, I don't know which one of us obviously said, let's do Ibn Khaldun, but the first time I came across him generally was this piece in Evenomics, Right. Um which by this guy called Daniel Ola. So we should kind of give a shout out to him because yeah. that was the one where I really him like, yeah. this book is interesting. Let's do him because, you know, it's trying to try and expand him. Um, and, uh, you know, again, some just some really good articles. I found this one from Salman Syed Ali from the Islamic Development Bank who, who kind of spoke about
1: him quite a bit. So, yeah, some yeah. good stuff out there. There was, um, I should have said as well, there, there is a rel- relatively recent biography by a chap called Robert Irwin uh, the 2018 Princeton hmm. University Press. I've not read it, but um, he's the chap who I read in an article about who sort of said Reagan and Johnson, mm, Yeah, yeah. And they're not actually doing a bit of misquoting. Okay. Well, look, there's loads out there, isn't there? Yeah, U- yeah, yeah. yeah. That
0: you can yeah, go well, and yeah. seek
1: out.
0: Not. And uh, yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, if uh, Ibn Khaldun was a boxer, what do you think his walk on music would be?
1: Okay. So I've got a couple of ideas i like, you've got loads. Yeah. I love them, yeah. <laughs> Here comes the judge, because he was a judge at one point. By nice. old dirty bastard, <laughs> ODB <laughs> from the Wu Tang Clan. Fame, <laughs> I think he is. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. not show my rap knowledge. Only God can only God can judge me. Tupac. Have you listened to these songs? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry.
1: Oh my word! I do you not. Know I, I don't all my preparation. I haven't, I haven't done that, but right, so okay. I googled like songs right. with Judging. And, All right, okay. yeah, so that's my
0: that was it. Yes.
1: Yeah, so okay. Yeah. What have you come up with? I rely on All you right. for this guy. Well, to be honest, I haven't got a lot. But what I did do is
0: I looked up to Tunisian music, right? And um, I spent the afternoon deep in the world of Tunisian rap. Wow. Um, it's quite it's quite big. Like on the rise. Yeah. And I've got some of their names here. We've got um, ALA. ALA, yeah. Um, S- uh, S- S- Swagman. Swagman. Yeah. Uh, I think El Castro, I think is one. But the big player at the moment is Samara. Right. Now, I have to admit, when I listen to it, yeah. it actually slightly disappointed me. I don't want to fall foul of our Tunisian listeners. Yeah. I think we've got listeners in Tunisia. Yeah. yeah. But I thought... What gets me about rap music at the moment, and I might have complained about this previously before, is it's so generic. Right. So I was hoping for some sort of kind of Tunisian, fusion. Middle Eastern influence, yeah, like all that yeah. kind of stuff, and it just sounds like Drake and vo- the vocoder music. Oh, it just really gets to me. What's that it's not like, vocoder, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, you know. I believe in, life, in love, langfest <laughs> yeah, and love. I don't like that. Yeah, that kind of that vocoder kind of yeah. sound, yeah. and so it's like that with this. So you, it's. I anyway, anyway. so I was yeah. very unhappy.
1: Oh right,
0: okay. Yeah, about that but well, there was.
1: Our Tunisian listeners can suggest. No,
0: that. and I would love that. But there yeah. was a Tunisian artist who called Emil uh, Mathluthi. Okay, yeah. and she's written a, a beautiful song. My word, my word is free, um, which was actually kind of played at the 2015 Nobel uh, Peace Prize. And some of her music was beautiful. Oh, I right. mean, like what's the name again? Um, Emil. Math Lucy so you can look her up on YouTube uh, M-E-E-M-E-L uh, I mean yeah. that's all you can have yeah. and but some of it yeah it's like really you can lose yourself in it but not boxing music no so I went for Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's getting lowered in yeah on his don't roll. you yeah. forget about
0: me yeah yeah, I can see
1: yeah. Him getting lowered in yeah what do you think I think his boxing nickname is easy as well the judge what <laughs> <laughs> do you think yeah. I think we've done that. Yeah. oh
0: you,
1: you, you, i will say your bell ringing's not. Yeah, being it's, not, it's not been yeah. good.
0: Okay, it's your favourite. It's a poetry corner.
1: Right. Okay. So, so I'm reading the first line. Yeah, read one?
0: the first yeah. line. It's yeah. quite a long one. What the first line is?
1: No, no, just the poem. <laughs> right. Ibn Khaldun, who's writing is having a recovery lost in time from the 14th century. That's the
0: Middle Eastern scholar Ibn Khaldun, born in the land of Tutankhamun, who wrote a book called El Macadimah that should have made him a superstar, filled to the brim with economic thought that even now students are taught, but no one would know it had come from him. Maybe because he was Muslim, or maybe because he wasn't translated. Then Smith came along, examples updated, a division of labour and specialisation. It was Scottish Enlightenment, the wealth of nations. But now Ibn's ideas are getting their dues. And this is big economic news that he might be the father of modern economics, because look at the stuff he threw in the mix. He was already discussing demand and supply long before Marshall would draw and apply. He spoke about trade and how you could grow long before the theories of Ricardo. He spoke of the curve that Laffer gave his name and of multipliers. That was Keynes's game. So now it seems Ibn's taking his place among the greats you will see his face. The great gap is slowly being filled and Joseph Schumpeter would be rather thrilled. But it makes you think, do we know what is true? Who came first with theories? What ideas are new? Especially with the African oral tradition where little was written, but there was innovation and Al-Ghazali would challenge the notion that Ibn was first on specialisation. So it's good to ask, who writes our history? Who do they look like, you or me? Oh, I like that.
1: Yeah. Can I I have a mild edit? (laughs) Just one point, right at the start. Is it Tutankhamun? Yeah. Yeah. I think if you put, died in the land of Tutankhamun. He died in Cairo, didn't he? Right. He was born in Tunis.
0: Yeah, I know that. But when I was thinking about the (laughs) land of Tutankhamun, I'm thinking about the region more than I think. It's a pretty broad region.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think, just with that mild edit, yeah. it's perfect. No, you
0: know, yeah. uh, everyone's a critic. Yeah. and But what I do is I take out... I, I will change
1: it yeah. for when I post it. Died. Yeah. Died. Died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, uh, you know the composers, Shostakovich and yeah. uh, Kacchaturian. Right. Yeah, the first one, I think. <laughs> yeah, Kacchaturian was, uh, I think, quite egotistical. And St- Stalin, I think, made them write some piece together, which they didn't want to do. And... Jessica which is trying to give him some feedback and there's some sort of line where he says, oh yeah, it's silver but this will make it golden uh, So that's what I'm thinking you change that line <laughs> it's silver <laughs> it'll make it golden. Well thank
0: you yeah, I will yeah. change it for yeah. when I when I stick it on the web.
1: I might have made up that story by the way. I, I can't remember the exact details can I just say yeah. that I, that bit at the end
0: about you know who writes history right yeah is inspired by Gil Scott Heron's Poem called History, which right. I played to my economists. Not a Michael Jackson album. No, <laughs> no. Which, <laughs> which is a phenomenal poem. Yeah. Basically, I challenges. I love Girls got hands Yeah. What's yeah.
1: his most famous work?
0: Uh, the a, a Revolution will be televised. Oh, yeah, about, yeah. I played yeah. that to my students as well. But the, the, this History one is just so good. It's kind of talking about mm. um, the colonization of Africa and like them being mineral rich and then who's civilized and stuff like that. Such a good poem. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I've rang the bell, so here we go. Uh,
1: do we like him? Would we have? Would uh, have a bit? Would we have, a bit, we'll uh, would we have a tea would, with him? Yeah, we wouldn't probably have a beer yeah. with him. I think he was quite a strict chap in many ways. Right. Um, yeah, I can, you know what? I did like. He's a fascinating chap, isn't yeah. he? I, I can imagine us just sat at his feet after a nice Bedouin barbecue. Yeah, not not too much. Mm. You know, we don't want to get pale and all yeah. these substances. And and uh, we'd all be looking at the little piece left on the plate. Yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. could drink our tea, uh, yeah. and to be honest, what I'd really like is to get his view on where that you know he's going to look around and think, are we going to the dogs now? Yeah, is this the end of sort of our yes. civilization? And he could say, yeah, yeah signs are all there, uh, yeah. colours, souls, and then we'd look at the yeah. stars. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. I think, like many of you know the great thinkers, he'd probably think we're imbeciles, but there's nothing new about that. <laughs> and I think he'd be polite about it yeah uh, and I think as well he'd be pumping us for information just about our times he'd be yeah. really curious about oh what's this what's going on yeah. you know so he yeah. could uh, so he could write about it I think you just see I get this impression of someone who is insatiably curious yeah. and also he's renowned as white everyone wants to work with him like, oh, yeah, why don't you come and work yeah. with us yeah uh, fantastic yeah. isn't he even old Pedro the Crew. yeah What? Yeah? Totally. old dirty bastard himself <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I watched uh, Tim Hartford uh, today speak about his new book um, yeah and how, how, how to add up or something and um, that was his he's got ten rules basically and, yeah. and the, the, he said the most significant rule that he wants to get over is is stay curious yeah and I think you're right Ibn was curious incredibly
1: so yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's
0: a lovely way to leave it yeah. can I just say also I think um, I hope anyway the listeners when they see the painting I've done of him Think it's one of my best works.
1: Well, I must say I've had a sneak preview, yeah. and I, I I think it is. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> so who's it next time? What's happening next? I think we said we'd do Malthus, didn't we? Yes, we're, we're doing Malthus. Yeah, yeah we're doing Malthus. Yeah. So we're going uh, yeah. forward in time from Ibn, yeah, uh, Ibn Khaldun to uh, Malthus, Ricardo's yeah. busy mate, and the uh, controversial theories on the topic and of population. So relevant now
0: in a Some. time of environmental you know destruction yeah. and all this kind of stuff like that yeah. so we're looking forward to doing malthus jolly good uh, well look yeah. well, great well thank you for listening uh we hope you liked our little kind of detour as it were this kind of uh, time and hope that you will listen to our next podcast uh we'd also like to thank our friend nick as always who gives us technical advice uh, with regards to podcasting and remember to follow us on twitter and instagram at economics in 10 or contact us by email at gmail.com. Yeah, we
1: always want to hear from you. We do. We've had some lovely feedback from listeners over the last, uh, you know, six months or so. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. The more, the more, the better. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Um, we'll, you'll hopefully hear from us again soon.